Okay, quickly to review what we said yesterday. Make sure you catch me if I miss anything. Yeah? We said yesterday, we started off with the quote from the Katsuki Rebbe, there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. We discussed... We discussed the soul's descent in this world for the sake of us sent back to the world of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We asked the question that doesn't seem to make any sense. Why leave what was perfect in order to just go back there to begin with, right? You said it was the same question with Adam and Chava, right? Adam and Chava were originally one. But there was something lacking about their oneness. So they needed to separate in order that the reunion would be better than it was initially. Right? That makes sense? And we said that Adam and Chava needed to be one to begin with, because that's what creates the energy for them to have that ultimate reunion. So if there was no original oneness, then there could be no we'll call it just for the sake of, these are the wrong words, but higher level oneness. Right? There was something deficient about the oneness of Adam and Chava. Right? So there was a oneness, but there was a deficient oneness. They have to separate in order to become one again, but this is a fundamentally different oneness than the oneness they had beforehand. So far so good? We said what was missing was this notion of selfhood. That in order for Adam and Chava to become one, Adam needs to be Adam, and Chava needs to be Chava, and then Adam and Chava could become one. Right? So Adam and Chava's original oneness was lacking. What was lacking? There was no identity. There was no self. Right? If you asked them, there wasn't a them. If you asked, who are you? They would say, we are Adam. Right? There's no, there was no notion of I am independent and therefore I've chosen to become one. Okay. So far so good. Was that a good summary? Sam, I did a decent job? Yeah. Okay. Judah? Okay. Eitan? Medrash and Parshas Maso says, Nisave HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lios Lo Yisbarach Dira B'Tachtonim HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires to have a a dwelling place in in the world down below. Tell me, Rav if after 6,000 years of creation HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down into this world. Is this world still Tachtonim or does it become Elyonim? It must be, very good, it must be that this world is still Tachtonim. Why? Let's make sure we understand, then I'll get to your question. Otherwise, what's the point? In other words, Hashem desires to have a dwelling place in the world down below means not God has a desire to make our world a spiritual place. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu already has a spiritual place. What does he desire? He desires that his presence should be manifest in a physical place. That's a fundamentally different idea. So it must be that Tachtonim, in some miraculous way, perhaps a way that we can't understand, it must be that Tachtonim, even after 6,000 years of creation, even when HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence is clear and manifest, it must be that Tachtonim remains Tachtonim. And yet somehow it's merged with Elyonim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence above his spiritual presence somehow is revealed in this world, and yet the world stays a world. It stays Tachtonim. Yeah, you had a question? So Elyonim would refer to, Elyonim literally means upper, Tachtonim means lower. In this case, it would mean the upper spiritual worlds and the lower physical world. So our world is a physical world that seems to be devoid of Hashem's presence. Hashem desires that His presence be manifest down in this world. But if His presence is manifest in this world, and it means that our world is no longer our world, then was Hashem successful, so to speak? No, it has to be that it's His world, right? And it remains distant, so to speak, from Him in a certain sense. That's a very complicated thing. Let me give you a muscle of this. This is a, a, a hard muscle, but a very important muscle. Okay? In marriage, there's something called codependency. Have you heard of this uh, terminology, codependency? It's not fair. You don't know most English words. <laughs> the um, codependency means that I am dependent on you. Now, what does that mean? I'm, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? That's like what, sounds like a healthy marriage. No, I'm dependent on you. No. Codependency means I can't, I can't handle, let's say, for example, I'm not okay if you're not okay. Right? That's an unhealthy thing in a marriage. It's okay for one spouse to be not okay, and the other says, I'm with you, I'm here to support you, but I'm okay. There are some people, for example, that lose themselves. Let's say their wife starts to get very upset. And then they become anxious that their wife is upset, right? So they've lost themselves. Part of the, part of the godless of marriage is I am I, and you are you, right? And yet, somehow these two independent things remain independent and yet are merged. You hear the vart? Very is a very important idea. I am I, and your wife is your wife, right? You are you, your wife is your wife. You're two independent things. You remain independent even in marriage. So you're okay even if she's not okay. And yet, somehow what happens in marriage? These two opposite things, what happens in Rabosai? They become one. Do you see how that's an exact parallel? Hashem has the upper worlds, right? The spiritual world. And we are the lower physical world. Rabosai, if we lose ourselves to Hashem and we're no longer the lower physical world, then there's no true unity in the marriage. There's no true intimacy in the marriage. Because I, who, who is Hashem married to, so to speak? Put it a little bit differently. I want to make sure you guys are getting the same. It's a hard concept, right? 
If I lose myself to my wife, then who's my wife married to? Right. That's not being in a relationship with another. There always has to be an other. What was that? I'm saying Hashem is not like marriage. So, so in so in many many ways, our relationship with Hashem is exactly parallel to a marriage. We need to be, in a certain sense, separate and distinct from Hashem. We have a physical body. We have physical desires. We have um, we have uh, we have to overcome, perhaps, or engage those physical desires. Might be a better better word, right? But we are other than Hashem, right? Not from Hashem's perspective, from our perspective. So Hashem wants us to be other than Him. He doesn't want to be so present in the relationship that His being overtakes ours. Because then who's He in a relationship with? Eitan? So then at that point, what more can we do? Because if, if you think about it... Uh, at which we, point? At, at the point in which we can continue to bring ourselves closer to Hashem. Right? We're, we're human beings and we cannot be brought to the level of godliness. Well, well, well one we second, slow down. We, we, well, we should not and we are not designed to lose ourselves to him. But we absolutely can behave godly in this physical world. And when we behave godly in this physical world, in a certain sense, that's exactly what we're doing. We're bringing the upper spiritual worlds down into our physical world. It remains physical, right? But as we bring that presence down into our world, Hashem has a dwelling place where He can feel comfortable. Right. And just as in marriage, there is a give and take, so we can uh, act in a godly manner without succumbing to Him. Right. And you know, God can be present in our lives. Right. But When you say without succumbing, I just want to know what you mean. You... Because succumbing is, is not necessarily the right word, right? We, we want to be totally egoless in the sense that I've given myself completely to Hashem. I've surrendered myself completely to Hashem. Surrendering yourself to someone else doesn't mean that you lose yourself. In many ways, it means that you find yourself. But you still remain yourself. You still retain your identity. Well, I'm saying in the, in the sense that just as in the codependent relationship, we have our, our own self. No, in the, code, in the codependent relationship, you lose yourself. You understand? In the codependency is a bad thing. In codependency, you lose yourself. In a healthy relationship, I am I completely surrendered to you. Right, so I meant, I meant in that case. Okay. But, but that we, we have our own self. But is that... Is that own self. Right, but is that own self? Here's what's important. I can be I and completely align my will with the will of Hashem. So I have not lost... People think like, oh, I want to be myself. So therefore I won't align my will with Hashem. Right? Because I... What do you mean? I'm staying myself. No. That's, that's also not a good thing in marriage. Right? To be in a marriage means to be completely dedicated exclusively to the other. So my life has to be... Again, it's not always. It's far from perfect. But my life ought to be completely dedicated to Hashem. And that is an expression of self. At the end of days, Hashem somehow, we don't understand this because it's beyond human comprehension, the Elyonim, the spiritual world, will merge with Tachtonim, but we will not lose Tachtonim. Right, so at, at that point, which, which is a thing that 
we are, we're not capable of understanding. What what are we supposed to do to bring that closer without losing our ourself? Meaning at the end of days? Or right now? At the end of days, I can't answer you. I have no idea what that would look like. But right now, for example, every time we do a mitzvah, we are transforming our world into a place where Hashem's presence is welcome and comfortable. But it is not already. He created it. No, because right now, this world does not... This world lives in this physical state, right, where we can see things and say, oh, that's other than Hashem, right? If Hashem were to be comfortable in our world, it would mean, as we're going to get to soon, that He's invited into every aspect of our lives. And we have not invited Hashem into every aspect of our lives. Yeah, in the same way, like, like I said in our uh, first semester here, um, Hashem uh, can or cannot create a rock. That it's different. There is one thing that Hashem can't do, and it's a function of His perfection. And then after this, we need to stop the Chavrusa. Yeah? But there is one thing Hashem can't do. He can't choose himself. Right? Like you could love somebody, but the only thing you can't do is you can't make them love you back. Because if you would force them to love you back, that's not love. So he has to give us the opportunity. Correct. He gives us the sense of otherness so that we can choose him. Which would would be a function of his personality because he's giving us that ability. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I, I understand really well the, the wise importance of the base. I mean, the, you're saying that okay, Hashem he put a, a, a like a spiritual part of the physical world, and now we have like this kind of marriage. No, not yet. We're trying to. The base Hamikdash was one expression of what the entire world could look like. Okay, but through the base Hamikdash. We, we had like this, this marriage with Hashem? We had some of it, but it's not enough. Because that the Beis HaMikdash was able to be a place where Elyonim and Tachton emerged, that's impressive. But it's not enough, Beis HaMikdash. The entire world, meaning even in, I don't know, what's some crazy place? Koyaike. What? Uh, you <laughs> what word did you just say? Koyaike, the south of Chile. South of Chile. Koryeke? Koryeke, yeah. Koryeke. So yes, <laughs> even in the south of Chile, even in Koryeke, we need to find HaKadosh Baruch presence. So all throughout history, Jews have traveled all throughout the world, right? And even if we haven't traveled to those exact places, we could talk at a different time about how we have a spiritual impact on places that we've never been, right? Mm-hmm. Even in Koryeke, HaKadosh Baruch needs to be comfortable. It's not enough for him to be comfortable in the Beis HaMikdash. You're talking about like Hashem like with human like human emotion like being comfortable. Like. Yeah, it's such a it's such an important point that you're bringing up. Such an important point that you're bringing up. Does Hashem have human emotions? What would you say, Rabbi? No, no, no. Humans have emotions. Right. So, so when we speak about Hashem being comfortable. We don't mean Hashem is comfortable like a human being is comfortable, like I'm comfortable in a chair. We're speaking about it in the sense of authentic comfort. What does that look like? So, for example, well, let's get started, right? What, what does comfort look like? Because this is actually the point of this shear. It's a good part of it, so let's, let's explain what that means. Let's go back to the marriage, Mashallah. How are you doing? You following so far? You good? Okay, you're a smart guy. You getting these ideas? Simcha, I'm checking in. How are we doing today? 
Following? Yep. Okay, awesome. Good? Okay. Three things. Three things are necessary towards saying to someone, you are authentically part of my life, and this is a place where you can feel comfortable. Okay? The first thing is, do you perform the acts that are important to another person? The mitzvos, so to speak. Every marriage contains a mitzvah. Right? What's a, uh, what's a good example of that, Rabosai? No, no. I don't, mean a, I don't mean a Torah marriage. I'm saying, what would your wife want you to do that doing that would be a mitzvah? Taking out the garbage. Taking out the garbage is a good example. Right? It, you understand, I don't mean mitzvah that Hashem gave a mitzvah. I mean a mitzvah between a husband and a wife, right? Oh, I was confused because I wouldn't think to use the word mitzvah. Right, well, if you, well, we should, right? Because what a mitzvah really is, is an opportunity to connect to another, right? Mitzvah comes from the lashon of tzavtza, which means glue. Would you get a mitzvah for that? Like in, like... Yeah, it has, I'm not, again, I'm not speaking right now relative to Hashem. Is that one of the 613 mitzvot? No, no, would it go on the scales at the end of the year? Yeah, I'm not sure I believe in those scales, but the, I mean, I'm, I actually don't, but the, or maybe the way I believe in the way Mishnah and Perkei Avos said it, but not the way I grew up here. You know, because then I just need a horse from some story from the Baal Shem Tov that one time I saved, and then the horse jumps on the scale, and then the scale tips the opposite way. So I'm, I'm, I don't mean like that. But no, I don't, in the way that you mean it, I don't think you're, like, like getting scar like that, but... A mitzvah, what a mitzvah really is, when you unpack it, is an opportunity. Hashem says, this is what it looks like to be in a relationship with me. I want you to do these things for me. Right? So if my wife says to me, Mordechai, please take out the garbage. In our relationship, that's a mitzvah. Right? What if I said to my wife, no? That would be an Avera, so to speak. But what does an Avera mean? Uh, say, speak it out. What? Meaning... If she's told me, this is, these are the rules of engagement of what it looks like to be in a relationship with me, and I go, nah, not in the mood, right? That's a lost opportunity, right? That's, I've missed the mark in the relationship, right? But you don't stay the same. Come I'm going to say there, okay, but I'm saying, like, I've, the point is, I've missed the mark in the relationship. So, would my wife feel comfortable in the relationship if I said, yeah, I don't know, there's some things I, some, some mitzvot I get. Some of them I like, you know. I'm, I'm down on certain things, you know. Like, we should have a date night. You know, I, I can understand that. But like, I'm not gonna do the schmoozing thing every night. I, I don't want to sit and listen to your stories of your day. I'm just not. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm telling you, don't, it's just not. It's it's not interesting to me. It's not relevant to me. That's a hard one to hear, right? Why is that hard to hear, Shmuel? Yeah. But don't people say that all the time? Why is this Gemara relevant to me? You ever hear that? You ever think that? Yeah, because you can't see. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, of course, what was that? When you say that, you're not, you can't see the Right. But, but of course you are, right? Because what, the to- what halacha is, is the will and wisdom of Hashem. So he says, this is what's important to me. You could wonder why those are even good questions, right? But it's not the first question. If my wife says, take out the garbage, and I go, Why? <laughs> Something has clearly gone wrong in our marriage, no? Probably a lot has happened before that. Nasavanishma? Right. Nasavanishma is exactly what it's meant to be. If my wife says take out the garbage, my first answer is yes. 
My second, my second question, right, is help me understand what is important to you in our relationship about my taking out the garbage, as opposed to, let's say, one of the kids. Right? That's what a mitzvah is. So would my wife feel comfortable in a relationship if she said to me, these are the things, these are the rules of engagement, and I said no? No, she wouldn't. So that's the first level of what comfortable means. Hashem says, do these mitzvahs. Wake up in the morning, daven, daven in the afternoon, daven at night, learn Torah every day, give tzedakah, do chesed, keep kosher, right? These are mitzvahs. Yeah, you don't know. Are we doing these things, Really, 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 the love is already there. The godly soul already feels all the love that it needs. Doing the mitzvot is an expression of that love. Well, I guess, yeah, bringing it into reality, actualizing. Yeah. Right. And that is, in a certain sense, what we're brought down here. Mm hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. What's the deal with, like, you're protecting them everywhere. So what about like in a bathroom? Oh, we're going to get there. Then there are the second level of what it means to be deeply connected to our spouse. Ready? You got this? goes like this. Inevitably, Yehuda, you're going to get married? 50-50 shot, right? God willing, yeah? God willing, yeah. God willing. You have someone special? She's out there. You have a lot of faith. I like that. Yeah, I'm giving you a hard time. Of course you're going to get married. Of course you're going to have you're going to have a million girls chasing after you, especially after they listen to this recording. They're going to hear your brilliant <laughs> hear your brilliant answers. They're going to come running. Yeah, no, I'm not dropping the last name. I made that mistake on a recording many years ago. Well, just there's some Yehuda out there who's an amazing guy. Girls, you'll have to wonder. Okay, um, Yehuda, you're going to get married. You're going to love your wife. You're going to make mistakes. Why? It's human. It's human to not always do the right thing. So let's say, for example, your wife says, um, it's important to me that you come home at 10 o'clock. But yeah, with the boys. In the base medrash. Drinking beers. Learning your chayims. Right? You're like a classic yeshiva guy. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to come home. You know, I'm talking about like sitting there, it's, your wife says, I need you home by 10. You're like pounding out. You're like sitting on a, a, a good kasha of a uh, Rav Chaim. You can't tear yourself away from the base marriage to come home. You know what I mean? You've had this experience, no? You guys are looking, you're looking at me like... Uh, thinking. You're thinking, okay. So now you come home, it's 10.45. Your wife's sitting there tapping her foot. Yeah, arms crossed. You walk in. Right, and she doesn't. She doesn't do it like a parent. She doesn't go, "Where were you?" Right. It's more of like the, "It's fine." Right. It's that passive aggressive. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah, I, I was hoping to spend some time with you. I, I guess a different night. Right. It's like. Uh, so what is that called in a relationship? Tension. Tension. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure true. Yeah. It's called an avera. Right. You did the wrong thing. Does your wife feel comfortable right now in the relationship because you did the wrong thing? She feels, and this is what she'll say, right? If you actually have, you sit down and have a safe conversation and you make a safe place and you're very validating and you say, I'm open to listening. You do all the things that husbands are meant to do. She'll say something like this. I feel unimportant in this relationship. 
I feel lonely. I'm home at night. I'm waiting for you to come. And I'm, I, I'm so proud of you that you're sitting in base magic till 1045 at night. If you would have let me know that you're going to be home at 10:45 at night, I wouldn't have been wake. I wouldn't have been waiting up. I wouldn't have felt lonely. I wouldn't have felt unimportant. But when you say that to me and you give me your word that you're going to be home at 10 o'clock at night, I feel lonely. I feel unimportant. I feel devalued. Right? There'll be a lot of adjectives. You, you, you're you're in the doghouse pretty badly, right? So does she feel comfortable, so to speak, in the relationship right now? No, something is missing. So what's the antidote to that, Rabosai? What would be a way that not only could you make the relationship comfortable again, but you could make the relationship more comfortable than you made it before? Mitzvah. Not a mitzvah. Understanding what it is that you did wrong and acknowledging that to her openly. And? Taking that experience and making sure you do better with it next time. I mean, Dafka do exactly what it is. So Yonatan, exactly, he knows the Rambam and Hilchas Tshuva. So he, he, am I wrong? He literally quoted exactly from the Rambam. No, I know he knows the Rambam, yeah. He quotes the Rambam in El Chuva, and uh, he says, Rebbe, what do you mean? It's a Beferish Rambam. Recognize the Avera, right? regret that you did the Avera, admit that you did the Avera, Kabbalah Allah Asid, make sure the next time it comes up, you don't do it again. So if, if your wife, Yehuda, if you come home from the base manager at 10.45, you see that look in her face, you give her that space to speak, and then you say to her, yeah, I did wrong by you. I can really hear why you felt lonely and unimportant, why you felt devalued in this relationship. I really regret that. That's not the type of husband that I want to be. Yeah? Next time I'll be sure to be more clear with you. And if it comes up that I'm in the middle of something, I'll be more conscious to let you know. And then the next time it happens, oso makam, oso zman, you actually behave differently. What will your wife feel now? What do you think she would feel now? It's the following week, Thursday night. And now it's 10 o'clock, and you walk in the door. And you say to your wife, I was in the middle of a difficult Rav Chaim, but I chose to hit pause. I'll pick it up again tomorrow. I have an Arab Shabbos Seder. What do you think your wife would feel? Right. So what's that called? That's the mitzvah of? Tshuva. Here's the point, Rabosai. Could you do a mitzvah if you're not other than Hashem? Could a malach do a mitzvah? No. He's not other than Hashem. A malach is like a glove on a hand. Has no will of its own, right? So the first thing you needed was otherness. Remember, could you do a mitzvah? The soul in Shemaim, could, could, could it do a mitzvah? So what did it need? It needed to be separated so that it could do a mitzvah. Now, because it's separated, what else can it do, aside from doing a mitzvah? Avera. It could also do an Avera. Could a Malach do an Avera? Why can't a Malach do an Avera, Rabbi Because the clarity that it has of Hashem is so obvious, it would never be able to do an Avera. Right? So is the distance between us and Hashem a good thing or a bad thing? What would you say? It's a good thing. It must be a good thing. Even though it gave you the opportunity to do an Aveira, it must be a good thing. But what's powerful about doing the Aveira? You can do from it. Yeah, the opportunity to do tshuva. One second, yeah. Rabosai, what brings a marriage closer? If a marriage never has any tension. Let's say you have a couple, let's say this couple is dating. Let's say. Let's say this couple is dating and they're working through things. 
she has certain values, he has certain values, right? And they're working through those things. It's good, that tension, no? The tension makes the relationship deeper. If the couple can hold that tension together, it deepens the relationship. If a husband and a wife never mess up, then the relationship only remains on that first level of doing a mitzvah. That's no good. So Hashem says, let's create Averus, right? Things that you're going to have a desire to do, right? Things that will potentially pull you away from me, but what's embedded in there? Embedded in the Avera is the capacity to do tshuva. What do they say after the fight? You're even closer than you were to begin with. Because when you go through it, tshuva at the end brings you closer. Yes, Yonatan. Correct. That's exactly right. The mitzvah by itself could not do what the avera could do. The avera with tshuva is more powerful than the mitzvah. Every is an opportunity. That's right. Yeah. So the reason we're in the reason we have the capacity to be closer to Hashem than the Malachim is because the Malach cannot see himself as any independent identity other than Hashem. It's so obvious to him the truth of Hashem that he's bound by its obviousness. For example, if I gave you a knife right now, okay, and I said to you, I want you to cut your hand off, I want you to saw it off, and we're not talking about your hand is trapped under a rock and you're in some... Uh, some movie, what's it called? 100, 100, hours, 127 hours. 127 hours. No, we're not talking about what, what was that? 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> no, that's, that's, um, that's really sick. The, um, <laughs> not surprising, but really sick. Yeah, so um, you could not right now take your... Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're proud of each other. <laughs> You could not take your hand right now and stab You couldn't do it. You couldn't cut off your hand. You don't have the free will to do it. Because the truth of the stupidity of that action is so obvious to you, you would never be able to do it, unless you're really, really, really sick. Right? A healthy person could not do that. Right? If they could, it would mean something is wrong with them. A malach looks at an avera and goes, why? Why would you ever do something that goes against the infinite will of Hashem? It doesn't make any sense. So as a result of that, they can never do something that's meaningful to Hashem in the sense of they can't choose Hashem. They can't choose to do what Hashem wants. They can only do what Hashem wants. They can't choose to do it. They can't make a mistake and then choose to do tshuva, deepening the relationship even further. Yeah? I know I've done this. Can I explain specifically with the mashal of the getting home at 10 o'clock? Why wouldn't you just not show up at 10 o'clock so you can do tshuva and the tshuva will bring you closer yeah. to Right. Because you've already made but a mistake in the first it's, place. It's a good question. It's a good, it's a good question. You also can't the malach see value in doing the avera for the sake of tshuva? No, because the malach can't bring himself to do the initial avera. Why? He doesn't have that level of choice. So now that we do, that seems logical. So, okay, that's, that goes to the Rav Sadiq that you and I have discussed many times. I, I, I don't have time to do that Rav Sadiq right now. Sam? Um, you want to say or something that there are like four people who have never done, that never did an Avera like right. in their life? Right, right. Because that's and not, they, like, right. Yeah, because that's not their mission, right? Their mission is very, very different. We could, we could go through what the role of a Tzadik is, right? But our mission, meaning most, most, most Jews, their mission clearly involves some level of Avera. That's why Chazal say tshuva was created before the world was created. Sin was always part of the system. 
Perfection is not interesting to us. Right? Choosing to be connected even when I've done something that creates disconnection, that's interesting to us. Yeah? Um, like, let's say ideally in the world, like before Adam sinned, would Avera and Sin have Okay, that's a very deep question. Again, also beyond the scope of this particular shear. But in a certain sense... This is going to drive Barg crazy, yeah? But in a certain sense, did Adam Arishon, did HaKadosh Baruch Hu know that Adam Arishon was going to sin? Yeah. He did. He, he knew there were two yeah. alternatives. He said, let's have yeah. one alternative. Either the world was... He was going to sin. Which made the world an even lower place. Which is exactly what Hashem wanted. So an Aveiro was always part of the plan. Make sense? Yeah. What was that? Because remember, what does Hakadosh Baruch Hu want? He wants a lower world. Was the world low enough in Gan Eden? Yeah, of course. Well, he could have just solved it as low as he wanted. He could have done what? He could have just created it as low as he wanted. Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. Because remember, what's the thing that makes the world low? Is the otherness, the human choice. Right? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu made the world exactly as a God would. And then it's up to us to bring it lower. And then it's up to us to bring Him lower. Thus fulfilling the purpose of creation. Yeah? Wasn't, didn't Hashem originally create the world? There was an opportunity for Adam not to sin. That was the original plan, so to speak. But yeah. also... Again, this is why it's going to drive Bar crazy, right? How do you deal with Hashem's foreknowledge versus free will? But obviously Hashem always knew that Adam Arishon was going to sin. Whether Adam Arishon had that option, and you're quoting from Derech Hashem, that's something else. But I'm talking about from Akadosh Baruch's perspective. He was always going to sin. He created a world which would have the capacity for him to sin. He created the world that had the capacity for him to sin. He also created a world that had the capacity not for him not to sin. But what did Hashem always know was going to happen? Exactly. Exactly. Fine. Is the end goal really right the end of days, or is it the journey together? Ah. Excellent question. Love that question. Relax, relax. It's going to be okay. You ask that question because we have no idea in this world the notion of arrival. We don't understand the notion of arrival, right? Like, uh, where do you go on vacation in L.A.? Where does somebody go? San Diego. San Diego, yeah? Palm Springs? Where is Palm Springs? Florida, yeah? No, it doesn't go to Korea. Yeah? All right, so I have a Talmud right now. I spoke to him this morning. He's a L.A. boy, and he's in San Diego on a vacation. What's the first thing you do when you arrive in San Diego, when you go on vacation? Check into the hotel, then what? Unpack, then what? I forgot I'm speaking to L.A. people. What are you going to do next? I can't think that far ahead. Right? It's a beautiful... Go to the beach. Right? And, uh, and then, okay, say there. It happens to be, everyone should know, in San Diego, they have a whole Visionet section, a separate beach that they have. Carry out Visionets in San Diego. I'm sure that's what you mean. Yeah? No doubt. Of course. What else could you possibly mean? So... Um, Right away, whenever you get on vacation, you know what you think? Okay, where are we going? We're going to Disney. We're going to the beach. What are we doing today, right? 
Do we ever have a notion of arrival? Do we ever have a notion in this world of... That's it. I'm done. Shabbos. What was that? Shabbos. Okay, say there's spiritual idea. Shkayach. I'm talking about in the physical world. But if only if, if if for a moment, if for a moment, yeah. I try. Like, not even just like at a physical destination, but just even just to achieve any sort of happiness. People are always looking for it. Yeah, it. we don't have any notion of arrival. It's the weirdest thing, no? Children, children are at once both exceptionally destination oriented and very present. So kids are the first ones to say, are we there yet? Right? Yeah. They need to, when are we going to get there so we could do something? I'm bored. Right? Yeah. And yet, children have a capacity to do something that you and I don't do. When they play, they actually play. Yeah, you know what, you know what, uh, you know what's an interesting thing? That you can minimize Netflix on your screen. So that you can have Netflix on the bottom of your phone while you're scrolling through Instagram. While you're sending a WhatsApp. Right? It's a crazy thing. You're not even watching the thing that you're watching. Right? Right. Children don't do that. Children actually do arrive in that moment more than we do. And yet they're very destination focused. Yeah, but then the question is, okay, like, again, let's say with the parent. Okay, so what are we going to do? Where are we going to send this kid to school? There's always like a what's next. Yeah. Um, just like that point that Sim was making, um, it's, I was actually, it was actually like, I was reading Rav book, like on Tefillah and whatever. Um, and I, I like that. I like that. I'm reading Rav David's book on Tefillah. I like that. I'm a big fan of that. I was reading Rav David's book on Tefillah. Yeah. Based on the teachings of Rav Glantz. Um, By the way, you know what I love about that? I'm sorry, my ADHD kicked in. You know what I love about that? It's like, based on the teachings of Rebbe Nachman. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, you see like people write Sparm based on the teachings. Based on the teachings of Rebbe Glantz. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So you're reading Rev, Rev, uh, David's book. And he was basically saying how like, um, everyone thinks that like, that, like you, have, you have physical needs, and then Hashem gives you tefillah to achieve those physical needs. So okay. you daven, and then you get there. But really... The really Hashem gives you physical needs so that you so that you dominate. That's the main. That's the main point. Okay, so tie it in. So it's not the saying. It's like it's um, it's not that it's not that we're doing mitzvahs and doing shuvah and whatever to get to the end of days. It's that Hashem gave you the end of days so that we would have the opportunity to do those things. So you know what it is, Simcha. At the end of days, there's something that you and I don't understand. What next? Right? Like, what happens when Hashem has dir b'tachtonim? What's your question? Now what do I do? Right? The only reason we think that way is because in our world, we're so destination-focused that we don't understand what arrival really means. Superb question. Yeah, you want to talk? Um, and I feel... Uh, I you think feel. That there is a certain sense... It's good that he feels. Did switch it up. I did switch yeah. it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think that there is a certain sense of arrival that we do have and that is a necessary part of ourselves in, in terms of creating a tension between striving for a goal that we're reaching for but also taking the steps and feeling the certain sense of accomplishment every step that we do take. And it's about being in touch with both of them which creates an, an ultimate balance in our life. There's no doubt that the reason that everybody today in the psychological world is talking about mindfulness is because we have no idea how to be. So we need to be. But have you ever tried it? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost impossible. No, what? Yeah, th- I'll give you an example. Yeah. 
Um, try not to think for a moment. Well, that was pretty good. You looked completely yeah. glazed over at me. Yeah. You ever try that? You ever try not to think, mm -hmm. or even to hold on to one thought? It's almost impossible to have no thoughts or two simultaneous thoughts. Yeah, meaning you're you're constantly moving in your thoughts. You're constantly moving. The reason is because it's very hard for us to be still. We are, by definition, we're holchem. Malachem are omdim. We're holchem. Oh, we have a couple minutes left. Yeah. I think like, when people get older, they do have that. Arrival. Much more. Like, you'll see, like, people, like, in nursing homes, or, like... Not exactly. That's not arrival. That's waiting for departure. But, like, they're, like... Like, they look back... Yeah, a little ego there. Yeah. But often because they have no next moves left to make. Which is, which is kind of arrival. It's not arrival. That's not the, right. That's not exactly arrival, right? But they're not going anywhere. That's not the same thing. Right? That's, I, I think your point is actually an excellent point, right? The capacity not to go anywhere is not the same thing as I've arrived. It's just I'm here. It automatically means you can't arrive. You have to be able to go somewhere in order to arrive. Yeah, but like that sense of accomplishment... Is for sure, that's that's for sure that sense of accomplishment at, when they spend time looking back at a life well lived, that's a sense of arrival, right? But the rest of it is merely, I don't have the capacity to. Uh, but you're right, that is a sense of arrival. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure if you're like fusing different things that uh, that that something just said and I think we said before. That is, if when when we have a sense of arrival when we're no longer doing things. Like you said, it's not really a sense of arrival because we're satisfied, we're content with what we did, and we no longer push ourselves to do more. At that point, you stop living. Right, that's not arrival. That's depression. Right, that's just, that's just I'm out. That's game over. That's yeah. not I've arrived. Where ben described it as being old. It's like some people just walk around and old. Refrifle. People with a midlife crisis, they, they stop looking at what life can give them, what they have to offer, and they start looking at what, what they did in yeah. the past. Yeah, Riff Freifeld spoke about that in a, in a schmooze many years ago. He said, I'm the youngest one here. Right? Young means to be in motion. There are many young people that are very old. You don't ever experience that? You, know, you never experience the sense like sometimes when you're like so connected to your phone that you're just like, you don't feel good afterwards. You don't feel good. You know, like, uh, I'll give you an example. This is when I was a kid. I don't know if you guys have this. Maybe you'll tell me if you have this. When I was a kid, we had this thing called Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. You know what Nintendo is? Not Nintendo 64, not a Switch. I had Game Boy before color. Now Rebby is making himself Old is nothing to do with years. Nintendo yeah? Right. So, okay. So, so then I, I see that we have some gamers here. So maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. No, I'm pretty old. <laughs> the, um, so when you play Nintendo, when you play Nintendo, especially if you get really into the game and you're like jumping level to level, right? Sometimes you could play for four or five hours in a row. No. Yep. Yeah. Nine, ten, even. Yeah. So it used so to be. Hide it under your pillow at night. Uh, I had, I had a like. We didn't have TV in my room because there were very few TV. Different game. Anyway, different. You don't area. need a TV. It's like a handheld. Oh wow. So <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can yeah, say so that. It's a little bit in your hand. 
right. So you ever you ever like get like um, do they have like you press the, the button with your yeah. thumb? You ever get that callus on your thumb that your thumb hurts after you've been doing it for a long enough time? I'm going to really date myself. Like, they had this game like Super Tecmo Bowl and Mike Tyson's Punch Out and Super Mario Brothers. These were like the original games, yeah? We had new Super Mario Brothers. You had new Literally Super Mario Brothers. You're killing me, guys. You're killing me, yeah? So, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing, right? You're totally zoned in in the game. After four or five hours, like, your mother's like, okay, it's time for dinner, right? It's like you just took an entire afternoon to do that, right? You ever have a feeling like you have a headache? Like, afterwards, just like. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like you're like, you're not like, you don't feel rejuvenated. You don't feel good. Right, yeah, exactly. That look at Yonatan has, right? Like, uh, why is that? Yeah? Right, you know about the metaverse? I'm very familiar with Ready Player One in real life, yeah. That's why it's so scary. The entire concept is very scary to me because of that exact thing. Did, have you read Ready Player One? It's one of yeah. my favorite books in the world. You must, anyone here who has not read Ready Player One? That's the movie. Was that? The movie I didn't see, but I heard the movie was garbage. I know, I'm very, I'm very embracing type of personality. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the uh, Ready Player One is, is a, it's a frightening book that people could lose themselves to that, right? Yeah. There's no, there, yeah, no, there's no, there's no notion, there's no notion of like an independent eye. It's not a rejuvenating activity. That's not a rival. You know what I mean? It's not a rival. By the way, I'll tell you, I'll give you this last hint. This is a good one. Nah, you'll take this with you. It's worth coming there to show just for this. Any sense that we have of arrival in this world always comes with rejuvenation. Which is not the same thing as relaxing. Right? You go to your bed, you sit, you relax, you watch your phone, you do nothing. Is that rejuvenating or relaxing? Because you haven't really arrived. You've just stopped. Anytime there's a sense of arrival, I'm just here with someone that I love... It's rejuvenating. Shabbos. Exactly. That's why Shabbos is Yom Menucha. That's true rest. It's not relaxation. It's the rest of rejuvenation. Anytime there's arrival, there's rejuvenation. Anytime things are draining the system, you know you haven't arrived. Yeah? Last question. Uh, can you go explain more what you mean by arrival? I don't know if I can. Fai's question is so powerful. I can only give you a sense of it in this world, but the true arrival is not until Olam Haba. Meaning, when, when we live in a world where there is no more, what's next? In this world, there's no vision of that. Everything is what's next. In Olam Haba, there's no, there's no more what's next. There's just basking in the delight of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's infinite presence. Shabbos is an example. Marriage can be an example, right? Just two people sitting together. There's no need for words. There's no need for plans. They're just enjoying the presence of another. It's close to arrival. It's not exactly arrival. It's close to arrival. When I think of arrival, I think of the key before, like getting to the hotel. Right. That's not really arrival. That's just I've stopped at this point in my journey until I take the next step. That's where I'm stuck at. Right. That's not arrival. You haven't really arrived because you've just come here in order to go there. You've just gone there in order to go there. Okay, Rabosa, we're going to stop here.